Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Prep Life Podcast. This is Amy Anger, founder and CEO, Glam Girl Bikini Coach, today with my co-host. Hey, guys. This is Chris Nicole, Glam Girl Bikini Coach and IFBB Bikini Pro. So today we're doing lucky number 25. This is so exciting. Uh, we are going to be talking about time-restricted eating, and um, I have mentioned before in previous podcasts that I partake in intermittent fasting, and I have been for several years um, because of the benefits of digestion, energy, um, and just kind of really just eating behaviors and modifications. Um, so I wanted to talk about the time-restricted eating because this one is one that um, – Chris can do and try. Um, yes. We've just been apprised of some new literature and some, well, I guess the, the actual um, experiments were done a couple years ago, but um, some of the new research that is out there on time-restricted eating, and um, we know that um, intermittent fasting didn't work well with Chris with hypoglycemia, so yep. um, fortunately... We can get some of the same benefits from time-restricted eating, and this has been proven in rodent and human studies by Dr. Sachin Panda, and he is the, um, his website is mycircadianclock.org, and he has been doing studies um, that started with rodents. So, Chris, why don't you start the podcast off by just kind of giving a little bit about what Well, first of all, let me backtrack. Let me rewind here. So intermittent fasting, let's talk about the differences there. So um, a time-restricted eating window can be anywhere between 8 to 12 hours of just eating during those and that amount of time. Now, intermittent fasting, I do an 8-hour window with a 16-hour fast. And what I've always done is that I've been able to drink BCAAs. I've been able to drink coffee, decaf coffee, um, kind of like trace calorie beverages. And so one defining difference that I want to point out right from the get-go is that on a time-restricted eating window, um, it's actually just um, the they count um, anything that initiates the liver um, from being activated. So coffee would do that, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also your branched-chain amino acids, they have protein. So... Um, we're more talking about liver activation. So why don't you kind of give our audience um, time-restricted eating definition and how it can relate to our competitors out there and our fit fam, um, what some of the benefits are from it because there are a shocking amount of fantastic benefits with time-restricted eating. And I think it's very doable as well. So. Yeah, I absolutely loved learning about this because like Amy said, with hypoglycemia, intermittent fasting was not fun for me. So for all those that are experiencing or or dealing with their blood sugars the same way, um, time-restricted eating may be something that's a little bit more beneficial. And I'm actually really excited to try that instead. But to kind of define what time-restricted eating is, it's the timing of food and how it relates to your body's natural circadian rhythms. So your body has rhythms where it regulates lots of genes and it affects everything from our physiology to our metabolism. So there's like these normal rhythms, everything goes through. 
um, if your body is kind of not knowing what uh, like time of day it is based on like light or actually your food when you eat, like Amy's saying with these windows of fasting and eating, um, if it kind of doesn't know like what to expect or, or these clocks are a little bit messed up, it can um, throw off a lot of your body's processes, kind of like a traffic jam. So we have like, um, you know, insulin release, we have um, protein synthesis, we have all these things going on within our body. And if our clocks are all kind of like operating independently or, you know, our food is triggering certain organs to work at different times and then their peak performance time, we can have like uh, almost like a traffic jam. Normally your, you know, your, your lights are going off at the intersections and directing traffic and you have smooth flow and now the lights are kind of out. And so things are kind of like crashing into each other. There's a little bit of a pile up. And it can cause some issues. So um, your body needs to be able to be regulated by um, the master clock. So you have this like, you know, everyone has your circadian rhythm. And then all your organs have their own independent clock as well. So everything kind of like runs together. Um, And everything in life anticipates a 12-hour window of Um, light and a 12-hour window of, you know, darkness or rest. Um, But the most important thing that's most applicable to our competitors is that your food actually regulates these clocks so much. So with this study that they did with mice, they found out that um, the mice that were eating within like a 12-hour window and then having a 12-hour fast, they had um, decreased fat mass, they improved glucose tolerance, improved blood lipid profiles, they reduced inflammation, increased production of ketone bodies, um, and had favorable improvements in gene expression. So there was a lot of really positive things that came out of that. And Um, let's let's first backtrack just a little bit. These mice um, had the same um, identical caloric intake, and it was also very similar to a Western diet. So it was in the an obesogenic diet where it was high fat and high sugar. So the only difference was that one set of mice was limited to a 12 hour window of eating and the other one was kind of able to free reign. So those, um, I just want to make sure that we, we covered that. No, that's good information. (laughs) That's important to know. Yes. Yeah. So the only variable was the time, not necessarily the caloric restriction. Okay, and then getting back to the master clock, um, because I want to make sure that we understand what um, that all, how that all pertains. So if we're looking back at prehistoric, you know, um, when, you know, the sun rises, that's when we were able to get out and uh, be able to hunt for food when the animals were at the watering hole um, or, you know, gather and hunt collect berries uh, before the birds got to them. So the dawn, you know, our bodies have been engineered basically to, um, to sense that light in the first dawn. And um, that we'll get into that light receptor here in a second. I'll have you cover that a little bit, Chris. But then I also want to kind of talk about how that cortisol surge in the morning kind of wakes us up and then at night, that light sensor also senses, you know, the sun setting 
and that you know in the back dating way back um you know that's when we would have to go back to the cave or find shelter um and so when that sun was setting um that light receptor would um kind of signal to stop as much production of insulin and cortisol and give that surge of melatonin so that mm -hmm. then we could sleep so can you talk a little bit about the melanopsin and um, the light receptor um, from that study? Yes, absolutely. So your master clock is in your brain. So that's the only one that is not regulated by food. So that's important to note too. And that kind of like sets the rhythms for your sleep and rest cycles. So like Amy said, when you are exposed to bright light in the morning for a certain amount of time, you actually have light receptors um, in your eyes um, that actually will like feed that information and kind of get, um, they, they kind of get your body like up and moving your cortisol release and they start that wake cycle. And it also reduces the amount of melatonin that is produced to kind of like keep you awake. Um, uh, and this I found was like so interesting, even people who, um, are blind, they still have those light receptors in their eyes. So they are still affected by the same like light in the cycles of like waking up and having that like same circadian, circadian rhythm response. Like even if they're blind, the receptors still work. But people who were, didn't have their eyes, they kind of had um, problems with their circadian rhythm. So all of it's like really connected. Um, yeah. And people that um, kind of are We've talked about in previous episodes just how blue light and, um, you know, kind of making sure that your screen time is, you know, put away towards the the end. I mean, there's a reason for that. It's so that we can utilize our body's natural melatonin yep. and, um, so that we're not giving this false sense of light and alert um, with those blue lights and um screen time can really affect our circadian rhythms yep, so exactly um do you want to talk about um kind of what happens when um people well 20 percent of our population are shift workers and so I want to talk yeah. about um because I've seen this with competitors I have a lot of nurses um that I have trained in the past that I currently train right now. And um, I've noticed that our healthcare professionals, obviously they have a very big challenge when it comes to prep and making sure that their circadian rhythms are, are where they need to be so that they're able to get in contest shape and all that. And um, so some of the strategies that I've used in the past, um, I use this intermittent fasting window um, so that even if they were a night shift worker, you know, right when they wake up, they selected that eight hour window that they could eat in, um, so that their liver at least was on that, that set clock. So they had their, their feeding window. And then even though if they were up during the middle of the night working, you know, that, um, that time frame didn't change and it stayed stable. Um, can you talk about kind of like jet lag and some of the what some of the study brought up with in regards to sleep yeah so I mean it's kind of similar to what we were saying about like the light being half the work of setting your rhythms 
So, you know, a, um, you know, you're, you're transitioning to a different time zone, utilizing light will actually help you with resetting your body's rhythms as far as like keeping you awake and then adjusting. Um, yeah, it's just important that you light does have to work, but also food's super important too. Yeah. And this is so important for, you know, protein breakdown, um, it's time for glucose to be made when you're sleeping. Um, and it's so important that that is all in line. Um, so because it really can affect your metabolism. Um, I like to use the example of when we don't have a window. So most Americans, they'll, even if they're not a shift worker, um, they'll have like a 15 hour window that they typically eat. And the study that Dr. Panda did, that's what he found. Um, he's from San Diego and they did a study, a human study, um, and they found that most people will average about 15-hour feeding window. And so what he found when they they didn't tell him to calorically restrict or anything like that, um, basically just shorten that window to 12 hours. And what he found was they had a 20% reduction in, in weight um, or in their calories um, consumption. So um, they actually, you know, they lost some body fat in this process. And um, if you think about how most people kind of live their life, uh, when, are, when is ice cream eaten or like late <laughs> night chips or um, wine? Alcohol. It's, it's in yep. those later hours. And so by just adjusting the clocks, um, it reduced their caloric int- uh, intake by 20%, which I found was extremely interesting. Um, do you have anything to add on that study? No, but yeah, that was like, yeah, I was a 15 hour eater too. So that's what I'm going to work on. (laughs) I just love to eat all the time, (laughs) eat and sleep. (laughs) And and it was something that I really, it was eye opening to me as well, because I've been trying to really alter my, even though I do practice intermittent fasting, I, I stay true to my eight hour window, but I, I have a hard time, you know, not drinking decaf coffee at night. Um, and I mean, that's processed through the liver. So I'm telling my liver it still <laughs> needs to work or branch chain amino acids. Um, you know, those have to be broken down as well. So I'm trying to limit it to just water after and before that 12 hour window. Um, because yeah. I've seen just based on this study, it's amazing how, um, how I mean literally like the the blood panels of these mice that came back and the studies that they showed um on this window it's mind-blowing um so let's talk about if you can restrict to an eight-hour window we talked about the obesogenic diets and how the mice just altered their time restricted now they did another study in which they actually fed them a well-balanced, healthy meal. And what they found there is that these mice that ate within the eight-hour window with a well-balanced diet actually gained lean tissue. And so I know all of our bodybuilders out there are always kind of looking for that low-hanging fruit when it comes to gaining yes. lean muscle. Um, and so we th- they don't know why that happened, um, but another marked difference was that there these mice the endurance increased phenomenally so they put these mice on a treadmill and their endurance increased 
and they also produced more ketone bodies. Um, their mitochondria was increased as well. So we think that has something to do, obviously that has to do with the increased endurance. Um, they're not sure why there was an increase in lean tissue, but I found that interesting as a eight hour fasting window um, lever um, that that can actually be a benefit um, for gaining more um, lean tissue, which, um, so I thought that's that revolutionary. Cool. I think so. I feel like that goes against like everything that we're told, like we have to constantly feed our muscles. So mm-hmm. I feel like that's a really big deal. And the kind of the description that he gave, uh, Dr. Panda, he, he said, okay, imagine that you have a carpet that's very dirty and you have debris. And if you think about like the cells in your body at every level, um, and this goes like even the brain, um, cleansing out that, um, with the protein synthesis, we know from our Wreck-It Ralph episode that obviously there's cells that are damaged, um, that need to be kind of cleaned up. We know that it takes 10 to 12 hours for, um, liver glycogen to, to deplete. And so from there, that time frame, it's like you're sweeping the carpet, uh, you're getting rid of that debris and cleaning it out. And we all know that if you were to sweep or vacuum, I should say, I'm talking like I'm from Indiana, sorry. Um, <laughs> you don't sweep carpet. Um, I, that was always a pet peeve of mine when I lived in Indiana. Okay, you vacuum carpet. Um, so you're vacuuming your carpet. And if you do it daily, you're going to have a very, um, I mean, it's going to maintain that carpet for a much longer time. And so if you kind of think of that on the cellular level, that's kind of what you're doing on a daily basis. You're just allowing that time for all of that to be cleaned out so that when the liver turns on, um, then you're you're functioning optimally because you've kind of like cleaned up the mess, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but. That makes total sense. Okay. Yeah. I think that's great. Good. I love the analogies. <laughs> Even though I say sweep, sweep the floor, vacuum the garbage. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So let's talk about fruit flies. Do you want to take that one? Sure. Yeah. So did a study on fruit flies. Yeah. And, um, this has to do with just overall health too. So fruit flies live about eight to nine weeks and they did a 12 hour feeding time, um, with fruit flies as well. And they, let's see. They were, so fruit flies are nocturnal, but they fed them during the day. No, and, that's incorrect. Mice are nocturnal. Oh, fruit oh flies, I thought they said the fruit flies were too. No, they're diurnal like humans. Oh, don't listen to me. Okay, now listen to <laughs> Mice me. Mice are nocturnal though. <laughs> um, by five weeks, um, their hearts usually develop like an arrhythmia, but they found that those that ate within like that 12-hour window, they, they, um, their hearts were actually working a lot better and they slept better. I don't know how they measured sleep for these fruit flies, but um, just another like study to kind of like back up that the, the window kind of affects your overall health in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I want to talk about brain health too and how that's affected with these windows. Um, so if you take a shift worker that's been a shift worker for 10 years and um, you kind of look at brain age, um, it's said that they are aged by six and a half years greater than 
like a daytime worker. Um, because we are diurnal animals, we are supposed to be functioning during the day. Um, so that was kind of the thing about the fruit flies is that they actually looked at their heart and it's really easy to test the fruit flies because they only live eight to nine weeks. So after like, I think three to five, it might've been five weeks. They're already yeah. basically, yeah. And you can see that, um, just like in humans, how our heart ages, um, and we get arrhythmia, um, the ones that were only allowed to feed um, at that time in the hours of the nighttime, their heart actually, they found it that it had aged and that at a much more rapid rate. So um, gut microbiome, I think this one's important. Um, Chris, can you kind of share your personal experience um, with, with this and how you're going to maybe utilize this for your future preps because of the impact that it has on your gut microbiome? Yeah. So I have actually done a couple days where I've utilized a 12 hour feeding window where I will eat eight o'clock in the morning and then I will stop, make sure I'm done eating by eight o'clock at night. And like Amy said, just water after that point. Um, and I have noticed that um, not to be gross, but like, my regular bowel movements are improving. So it does that. I feel like that fasting time does really affect the, um, the breakdown of your food and making sure that you're getting like a regular rhythm there too. Um, and I also feel like my sleep has improved a little bit. I feel like I am sleeping a little bit. I mean, it's only been a couple of days, but I do feel like I'm more rested um, and not waking up so much in the middle of the night. So I do feel like there are some benefits that way, but I found really interesting in this study that the doctor was talking about, you know, your microbiome are living organisms. And so that bacteria, they have natural rhythms as well. So certain species are more abundant during different times of the day because we want to have like a diverse population within our gut. Um, and they've actually done studies where they've had different variations of populations in obese animals versus non-obese animals. So that diversity is really important. And these bacteria, they need their own temperature and nutrition um, to survive. So when we eat, we kind of change that environment or the content of the, of the gut. And so certain bacteria are easier growing in that condition and others find it more difficult. Um, with the feeding window, it allows these like set times for these environments where <clears throat> the bacteria can actually like thrive. And then, um, you know, you go through that fast period and then they can, a separate um, species can thrive again. So it's just good in um, variation. And um, what I found really interesting as well is that certain bacteria work on certain foods um, at different times of the day. So like in the daytime, when we're more prone to eat more starch, um, we need a lot of that bacteria that breaks down starch to be active during the daytime. So when your liver cycles are off or your, your internal clocks are off, that bacteria doesn't know when it's supposed to get um, certain food groups to break them down. Um, and it also like affects the pH of your, of your gut environment as well when you're having these set times of eating and not eating. Um, and yeah, I just, 
found that like so crazy interesting that yeah there's all these things that are in rhythm the the interview that i i liked the best um now you can listen to dr panda speak on his website um but dr Rhonda patrick interviewed him and there's a two-part um study or i'm sorry interview that she did um on his studies um and so i'll probably put the link to that in the show notes um especially his um website as well so you can kind of look back as there's we're kind of throwing a million things at you right now as far as information goes but um he so he was saying how um some of the some of the foods that you would want to eat like in the morning would be more high fat because all those cells basically have been cleared out and fat's really hard to break down so like a high fat um high calorie breakfast is really good um and then you kind of want to avoid um starchy carbs and things uh, because as we had referred to before your circadian clock um it's kind of telling insulin to stop producing um, so that the cortisol gets reduced and so the melatonin can kind of surge so eating carbs later at night might not be the best choice Um, good rule of thumb is definitely just centering those carbs around your workout now if you're a late night workout person um, at least your body is hungry for those carbs Um, so we know that from previous podcasts that working out makes your body more insulin sensitive. So I think that would be maybe one exception to the rule. Um, Do you have anything to add on like workout timing? I know they had talked about um, some people were asking if they were still considered to be in the window, if they did a late night workout and they wanted some fast digesting protein. But I mean, their basic answer was you really have to cut off and, I mean, in theory, it doesn't seem like it's very hard to do a 12-hour window. Maybe that's because I've been doing it at 8 for so long. But um, yeah. but you really need to maybe push your workout up a little earlier or maybe just push your breakfast back. You know, if you yeah. know that you're going to be – I center my calories. I have the luxury of being able to pick when, you know, I lift weights. But, I mean, some people have to work around – their work schedule so you need to kind of think about and strategize about where your eating yeah. window is going to best lie so it's so important to have muscle protein synthesis to occur in the recovery around your workout so if you know that you are a late night workout person then maybe you should start your feeding window later so that you are able to stick to that and just remember you can't have coffee in the morning um uh, yeah. so because that does start the uh the liver to start um, working. Um, yeah. Anything that I'm missing on that, like workout timing or things that our listeners maybe would want to know about this study? Um, no, I mean, definitely. I think just to touch on the insulin part, like one more time to make it clear, like um, your melatonin kind of inhibits your insulin secretion. So like Amy said, when the, you know, it gets dark out in the nighttime and your melatonin hormone kicks up to help you get ready to go to sleep, it reduces that insulin as well. So when you're eating carbohydrates, we don't have that response to kind of break down those carbohydrates. But that is a really good fact. People who are nighttime workers, they're setting their bodies up with that like resistance training to be able to absorb those carbohydrates a little bit better. 
Um, I think it's kind of the main rule of thumb is just there's a good, better, best option. So we can talk about like what's optimal, but you know, we, we live in a society where we kind of have to function within it. So you have to find like what are the best options and that what works best for you. I think um, for those like nurses and nighttime workers, I think that's going to be a really big game changer working within a window. Yeah. And if you live in a place that is dimly lit, even if you're diurnally working, so working during the day, um, it's really important to get bright light exposure. Um, so, you know, I would encourage you as soon as, you know, make sure that window shades are open during the day. Um, that's just going to help your circadian clock. I mean, I know when I traveled over to compete in Spain and in Italy, I immediately immersed myself in bright light to try to adjust my clock. Um, mm-hmm. And it helps a lot with jet lag. So um, if you live in a dimly lit, sorry, Seattle people, um, you're going to have to <laughs> somehow, you know, make sure that you're getting outside um, and getting that exposure so that you have those circadian rhythms. Um, but yeah, I, he was he was really curious. And so this kind of leads me to the next piece is he has a study ongoing throughout the world that you can, um, when you go to mycircadianclock.org, um, you can sign up for this study, and actually he has an app on the phone where you can take pictures of the food, and you can partake in the study. He asks that you do two weeks of your normal feeding window, and then pick a feeding window and kind of just take pictures of your food, and it timestamps them. Um, one thing he was curious about is how the ultimate shift workers, kind of how their um, how this affects their eating patterns um, up in Antarctica. Antarctica. Um, he said he doesn't have any data um, up there, but you can see, I mean, even I have a competitor in Alaska. Um, so this could probably, you know, be something that could affect the clock there too. So just something to think about. Um, with that, we are going to be talking a little bit more about gut microbiome next week. I have Brie Gidden. Um, she is going to be talking about comp- competition, um, prep, and having SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, um, and kind of her journey and struggles through that, and just kind of um, helping out with identifying some of those um, key things that can kind of help. um, We just want to help out on this podcast, so um, just giving some insight on SIBO. Um, and then the next podcast after that, we're, we're like finally planning ahead here, <laughs> getting our lives organized here in February. Yes. Um, we are going to do a Q&A, our first Q&A. So we have already been collecting questions. You all have been doing a fabulous job of DMing us on our Instagram. Um, so it's at Prep Life Podcast. And we've gotten some great questions there. Uh, we've gotten some great you know, questions in the comments on previous episodes. So um, if you would do us a favor and, you know, shoot us some questions that you would like for us to cover in our Q&A, um, we would absolutely love to address that. Um, so as far as that goes, um, please remember that this is not a funded podcast. Um, so we would sure appreciate it if you would subscribe um, 
to this podcast. And if you can leave us a review on iTunes, um, that would be so appreciated. It actually would help other people that have the same interests in bodybuilding and contest preparation, um, nutrition, health, fitness. It helps them find us. Um, so we would really appreciate that. Um, iTunes likes that for the algorithm, I guess. So leave us a comment <laughs> in iTunes if you would. Um, this is Amy Anger, of founder and CEO, coach of Glam Girl Bikini, and signing off with my co-host. And this is Chris Nicole, Glam Girl Bikini Coach and IFBB Bikini Pro. Thanks for listening, guys.